we doing? All right, there we go. Judges chapter 6. You know, if I'm going to the Old Testament, I have heard from the Lord, okay? This is very special. So I want to look at Gideon. I, we looked at him a couple years ago, and I just love this guy. One of the things I love about Gideon is it seems like he's like the Peter of the Old Testament. If you remember uh, Peter, I, I, I can just identify with that guy. You guys know what I'm talking about? He's like saying stupid things. He's like losing faith and just all this stuff. I'm like, and Paul, I'm having a little bit harder time relating to. He just seems like he's just always like amazing. But Peter, I'm like, okay, if God can use that guy, there's hope for the Baker family, right? Can anyone else relate to Peter? Gideon is a lot like that. I mean, people, we know him for the fleeces, and he's doubting, but we're going to see here. He's doubting God from the very beginning of the story. And God's like, no, no, you're actually the one to deliver a nation. And so uh, this is going to be good. So here's the context uh, Judges chapter 6, the Midianites are oppressing the Israelites. And so the Midianites were the, uh, you know, they were descendants of the Canaanites, and it's a big hot mess. So here's what they're doing. Israel's going, and they're planting crops, and the Midianites are coming, and they're raiding the crops. They're stealing their cattle. Sometimes they're just burning their crops just to mock their covenant with God. And so things are going bad. And you got Gideon in here, and he's hiding, uh, uh, threshing some wheat in a wine press. And so he's hiding out, trying to make a meal for his family, hoping that the Midianites don't come and steal his food. So here we go, uh, Judges chapter 6, verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terabith tree in Ophrah. I always want to say Oprah when I say that, but anyway. Which belonged to Joash the Abizarite, while his son Gideon was beating out the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, oh good, it's up there. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said, who me? Gideon said to him, please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? Can you imagine that? An angel of the Lord appears here. We're going to see this is actually Jesus himself appearing to him. And he's, the Lord is with him, and he's like, hey, if you're really with us, he starts arguing with, I mean, come on, guys. That is the spirit of stupid right there all over this guy. Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And where all his wonderful deeds that our forefathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. Sounds like a lot of charismatic Christians. God, if I'm a Christian, how come there's problems in my life? It's not supposed to be this way. All right. Verse 14. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Just ignores this question. I just love it. <laughs> Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? There's going to be this repeated theme here. And he said to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, he gives them some more excuses here on why this isn't going to work. Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, if now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Gideon, come on, pal. How many of you know your faith is really low if you need a sign that the person talking to you is actually talking to you? Like your faith is in a real low spot here. Verse 18, please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present or an offering and set it before you. And he said, I will stay until you return. So Gideon went into his house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes and an ephah of flour. The meat he put in a basket, and he put broth in the pot, and he said to him under the terebinth tree, and presented them. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour, forth the, bro pour the broth over them. And he did so. Verse 21. Then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes. 
and fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. That would have been something to see. I would like to see that video when we get to heaven. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. I mean, talk about a dramatic mic drop pause there. Touches it, fire, gone. Then Gideon perceived he was an angel of the Lord. Great job, Gideon. (laughs) Way to use your spiritual senses that that was something spiritual going on there. God is so patient. Then Gideon perceived. Ah, yes. It's like, come on, man. And then Gideon said, alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. He had been seeing him the whole time, Gideon. But the Lord said to him, peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. And then Gideon built an altar there, and the Lord called it, the Lord is peace. To this day it still stands at Ophrah, which belongs to the Abyssalites. So like I said, Gideon, he's known for his fleeces and kind of struggling with God, but we haven't even got to the fleece part yet. I mean, he right here from the beginning to end, he's talking to God, I need a sign that you're really talking to me, and I mean, it's just all sorts of stuff going on, but God is so patient. And so uh, let's go back to verse 11 here, let's walk through this story, and here's what I want you to get. Um, The key to the impossible is that the Lord is with you. That's the only thing that makes any of this stuff possible, is that the Lord is with us, okay? And so verse 11, now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, Angel of the Lord is a phrase uh, throughout the Bible, and in most cases it refers to actually God himself coming in human form before he came in human form in Jesus. Okay, so, when, so we see this phrase. So it's God himself is coming to Gideon and giving him this word. In verse 12, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. I want you to get this, because God is calling him a mighty man of valor before he was ever acting like a mighty man of valor. Remember, he's hiding in the wine press. He's fearful that these guys are going to come steal his lunch. Gideon thought he was who his past says he was, and he needed a word to tell him who he actually was. So many people, they're getting their identity from their experience. Well, I'm just no good with money. Well, I'm, just, I'm terrible at relationships. I'm just in that. Gang, you're getting your identity from your experience. You need to get your identity from your father. You've got a new DNA. I, I like the phrase regenerated. It can actually be pronounced Regenerated. You got a new DNA put on the inside of you. You've got access to something a whole different than your history. God's truth is often opposite of our feelings. Has anyone figured that out? (laughs) Oh, I'm just not feeling worthy. Well, guess what? (laughs) There's a deeper truth. We need to tap into that thing. The prophetic speaks to your identity and it gives you a picture of how heaven sees you. So here's Gideon going by his feelings. My clan's the weakest. I'm the least of the clan. We're just the least of the least. And the prophetic breaks off the arguments off of your life. Guys, this is why it's so important for us to review the prophetic words over our life, because it breaks off all those arguments of why God's promises won't work for me. You know what those are called? Doubts. (laughs) If you're just getting all those excuses and all that feeling, that's just a doubt, and it nullifies the power of the word of God in your life. So the prophetic comes, and it breaks those things off. I'm too young. I'm too old. I don't have enough money. Uh, I got too many issues. I'm not from the right family. Listen, the word of God breaks that off of you, and he tells you who you really are. A lot of people, they try to um, get confidence in their giftings. Okay, you know what? I'm I'm actually kind of gifted at this, and they put their confidence in their giftings. Listen, giftings don't get me excited. God gets me excited. If you're putting your confidence in your giftings, you're going to hit a ceiling, and you're probably going to hit a point where you start getting depressed because your giftings will not get you into the impossible. It's God with you that will get you into the impossible. That's the only place our confidence is to rest in. The prophetic word over your life breaks off those excuses. 
I remember one of our kids, they, uh, you know, they were doing homeschool, they were doing online school, so they were kind of like in a virtual classroom, and they'd have to log in and with other students and stuff. And so they had to write a report, and so one of the boys, they showed me the report, and it was filled with grammatical errors like you can't believe. Like, I'm looking at this thing, and so I, I did really well in grammar in college, and, just, and so I'm looking at this thing, and I'm noticing all the errors, and I go down and I tell Mary, I'm like, you, you can't even believe like, how many errors. Like, I could hardly read this report. So then, um, so we're, we're downstairs, and uh, he's in his room, and we hear him reading his report out loud with passion. I'm like, what is going on up there? Is he, like, dominating the classroom? Like, what is happening? And so his teacher had read the report and said, this is the best report I've read, and this child has a gift, and he probably needs to become a writer. How many of you know? <laughs> the prophetic sees the writer and not the grammar mistakes. The prophetic sees the mighty man of valor and not the person cowering in the wine press. Are you guys getting the picture there? But I want to go beyond that. It's not just that God says something nice about you. When God declares something about you, his words actually create that reality in your life. Here's what God said. Let there be light. What happened? Uh, light was created because he spoke it. When God speaks, there's a creative power of God to put into action what it is he says. He says, my words are spirit and they are life. Just as Jesus became flesh, his words become spirit. And when he speaks them, the Holy Spirit rides upon those words to create what happens. Whoever will listen to those things and put mix it with faith. Some of your best prophetic words will come from reading the Bible. You know what the Bible is? It's a book of your inheritance that he's dying for you to spend. Well, he actually died already for you to spend. And now he sent his Holy Spirit to be your mentor in the kingdom kind of life. You guys realize you have a mentor into all these things? He's there to mentor. You have a personal mentor 24-7 to help you walk in your destiny. That is good. I didn't even have that in the notes. That's better than I wrote down. God is looking for someone who will listen because in the call is the creative power of God to put into you what he uses. This is why it's so important to sit quietly before the Lord. We've got all these distractions, all this stuff, because it's in that he can whisper in those things, and in the whisper is the divine enablement for it to happen. But if we don't hear that, if we're looking at what's humanly possible, so many people look into their future, and they make uh, plans that they think are wise, but it's actually just flesh, and they call it wisdom. Flesh is what's possible apart from divine enablement. And they look at it, and they go, I could do this. I'm gifted in this. I've got some of these resources. We can make some of this happen. Flesh. We listen to the whispers of heaven. And in that whisper, guys, anything God tells you is going to be impossible. Any commission, any call, anything that he's doing, you're not going to go, I can do that. Thanks, God. This will be a snap. Mm, that's probably not God. If he's calling you to it, it's going to be impossible. And the only thing that makes it possible is he says, I am with you. Verse 12, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds? And our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But God, I've been praying. God, we've been hearing revivals coming. God, how come I'm praying and it's not working? This person isn't getting healed. They actually died. God, how come this? How come this? And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? Guys, God will not change the subject. 
Throughout this whole conversation, Gideon's trying to distract him. Well, how come it's not working? Well, what about my family? I will be with you. Do not I send you. Go in this might of yours. Listen, if it's a contest between you changing the subject and God changing the subject, guess who's going to win? A lot of people are frustrated in their experience with God because they're not listening to what he's saying. They're trying to get him to listen to what they're saying. Like, how come God's not speaking to me? Because you're not listening to what he's saying. You're trying to get him to say something you want him to listen to. I remember one time I went on this prayer retreat, and the whole purpose of this retreat was for me to get the answer to one question. So I, I got a hotel room. I separated myself. And literally the whole first day, I spent... I don't even believe in begging God. I am begging God. I'm binding things. I'm loosing things. I'm pulling things down. I'm pushing things up. I did things I don't even agree with. And at the end of the day, I was literally so distressed, I was not even sure I was saved. I'm being serious. I, I, this is supposed to be this time of separation, just me and the Lord. I got so distressed. It's funny, John Jarman's here today. I called John Jarman. I said, I can't take it anymore. Can you go see a movie? And, <laughs> and don't tell Mary that on my spiritual retreat, I'm going to see a movie. And it was the humor of the Lord because it was the dumbest movie I had ever seen in my life. And I think I actually lost brain cells from watching it. It was so stupid. So now I'm like, oh, my gosh, no, after all this, and I just failed God. So I get up in the morning, and I was trying to look hungry. Have you ever tried to like, do that before the Lord? Like, oh, God. And it's like, you're not hungry. I'm not hungry at all. I was making faces and, like, changing my voice, but I was angry. I was angry that he wasn't answering my question. I'd set aside my valuable time for him to speak to me. And and here, here's what he wanted me to know. Jim, I'm with you. He wanted me to settle back into that place because I lost my true north. Here I am working and doing all these busy things for him, and I lost the true north that, <sighs> I'm a son. He's, that, that's what he wanted to communicate to me on that tree. And once, that, once I got that locked in, everything was better. Until you realize that God is with you, you will try to do things in your own strength. Until you realize that God is with you, you will try to do things in your own strength. You know what the biggest form of pride is? Trying to do things in your own strength. I'm sure glad I passed that one. I don't do that anymore. Again, we, we fall into this all the time. This is, this, this is the struggle for the Christian life. It's not whether or not you're saved. It's whether or not you're going to live like you're saved. Are you going to live like an atheist where there is no God and do things in your own strength? Or are you going to recognize I am with you and live out of that reality? Everything flows from a revelation of his presence. Awareness of his presence is the key to anything. The heart and soul of every bit of victory any person has in God is your awareness of God's presence. I'm going to say it again because it doesn't look like you believe me. The heart and soul of every bit of victory that any person has in God is an awareness of his presence in your life. God knows if he can just get Gideon to recognize that he is with him, then Gideon, the word itself, will create the power in Gideon to be able to do what's impossible. But if he does not get this one point that I am with you, he will never have the giftedness, the strength, the connections, the networking to be able to accomplish what it is God has for him. And he'll just be frustrated. Whenever God says, I will be with you, it's because he has an impossible assignment. I love this quote from Bill Johnson. If you have not heard the impossible spoken into your life, you have not heard God because that's all he does is speak impossibilities. Here's what God's looking for. He's looking for someone to partner with his invitation to live with an awareness of, a pre of his presence so that they can do impossible things. On your tombstone, God does not want you to write, and they paid their bills on time. And they did what was humanly possible. They were a good citizen. 
Okay? He wants the, the, the banner over your life that impossibilities bow their knee at the name of Jesus over and over again, and they did things way beyond their own strength. When God speak, I'm just going to keep saying this point over and over again. When God speaks to you, he speaks to the impossible, and the only thing that makes it possible is that he's with you. Verse 15, and he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan's the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, I mean, here it is again, but I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. Gideon gives God a list of answers, and uh, God just completely ignores the answers. Verse 17, and he said to him, If now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak to me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and you and you bring me come to you and bring out my present. My offering is set up before you. And he said, I will stay until you return. So Gideon went into his house and prepared a young goat. You have to understand, a young goat was a very expensive offering at a time during famine. And unleavened cakes from an ephah. An ephah was 33 pounds of flour. So he didn't like bring out like a couple of McMuffins here. You know, I mean, this was like 33 pounds of flour, which would make, I don't even know how big of, uh, of a pizza. Here's what I know. I know Gideon finally got it right. He realized God was there because he put everything on the plate. I know someone's heard from God when they stop talking about what price it cost them and they start enjoying the fact that they get to be part of this thing. So many people, oh, I have really paid a price and oh, man, I, I gave this offering and it was just a real stretch for me. Oh, we've been standing in worship a long time. No one confronted with God says, wow, I've given a lot. They're just all on the fact that they've been uh, confronted with God. Nobody is aware of the price that they've paid who's been confronted with God. They're just all on the fact that I've been confronted with God, that he's with me. That is the prize, is that he's with you. The fact that you get to do impossible things is just icing on the cake. It's, it's jewels in your crown. It's glory to his name. But the fact that he's with us, that is what makes this whole thing sweet. I think I'm just making the same point over and over again from a bunch of different angles. It's his presence with you that makes this whole thing possible. So many of you, you probably, if you haven't been around here a long time, you've never heard this story, but I used to have a severe fear of public speaking. It was paralyzing to the point I couldn't get words out. I remember in high school, uh, we'd go to Bible studies in people's houses. If they had you read words out loud, like read scriptures out loud, I couldn't get the words out. I, I, I couldn't talk. I couldn't get the words out. I'd have like a panic attack. In college, when they, I would take classes and teachers would call on students randomly, I would drop the class just for fear of the fact that I would be called on. I remember a college pastor asked me to do a sermon, and I'd never done that before. And I'm up there, and I'm doing it. I, I remember I had read this Larry Lee book and, like, took a couple of notes out of it and, you know, just tried my best, you know. And, and so I'm up there, and my mouth was so dry that um, I was, my mouth was making this noise when I was talking. And so I'm up there giving it my best shot, and this girl in the front row named Catherine, she looked like she was really into it. And I'm like, well, at least I got, you know, like one person listening. And afterwards, she came up to me. She said, Jim, I noticed your mouth was so dry, and I spent the whole time interceding that God would restore moisture to your mouth. <laughs> I'm like, really? That, that's what you got out of my mighty message? I remember uh, in order to graduate uh, from the program I was in in college, we had to give a senior presentation. We had to do a two-hour presentation to the other seniors in the thing. 
And so I did mine on, uh, I actually did it on Alzheimer's. And when I got done, the uh, teacher's comment was, well, at least you didn't faint. And then in the next classes, he began to make fun of me and said that I demonstrated Alzheimer's more than taught on it. So this is how bad it was. This was just like, a, this was a fear of it. And then God calls me into ministry. And in the back of my mind, I'm feeling, don't you have to get in front of people and speak at some point? I'm like, like you know, it was just like, I, I don't think I can do this thing. And so I remember the first uh, sermon I gave, I, <laughs> I had all the words written out on, on paper. And I got up there. My hands were shaking so bad. I accidentally knocked over the anointing oil. If you remember this, it was in Canton, Michigan. I knocked over the anointing oil. And so my whole first page, now the, the words were all smeared. So I tried to make a joke like, well, hey, at least maybe now my notes will be anointed, and nobody laughed. And we had taken communion right before I got up there to speak, and my mouth was so dry, I didn't have the moisture to be able to swallow it. And so I tried to do like a, like a little shot with the communion glass, like, like take a pill to get it to go down. And I'm not kidding, it was, like, it was like my tongue was covered in Teflon, and it repelled the moisture. And so I'm up there, and, you know, and I'm, I'm delivering my message with the communion still in my mouth. It would, I couldn't do it. It was just too dry. It wouldn't happen. Even my first couple years at Zion, I remember I would sit in the front row, and I, people probably thought I was spiritual and praying. I was trying not to be nauseated. I would go into the bathroom, and uh, I, just, I, would just, I just had this nervous thing. And I got a sozo, and that helped a whole bunch. It's a kind of a, a ministry that helps you just hear what God says about you and reconnect you with the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That helped. But the, God had me do this interesting thing. It was, it was this act of faith because I, I still felt the nerves for a while. And I had this act of faith where I, I, I'm like, God, I, I'm not feeling it, but I'm going to step out in faith and trust that you're going to meet me there. And it was literally like I was stepping into him. I don't know how else to say it. And it started working. I was like, okay, like, I'm not going to be nervous. God's going to, I didn't have faith for him to meet me in the seat for some reason. You know, like, that would have been a whole lot easier. You know, like my lightning fast mind wasn't, like, wasn't going there at that point. But um, it was that picture. Of, I mean, you have to understand, guys, this was an impossible situation for me. And the only thing that made it possible was that he was with me. And here's what I want to say to a couple of you guys here today. God will, uh, oh, not gonna, like, uh, scratch that, Satan, <laughs> not God, Satan will often attack you at your greatest point of destiny. The very thing I was called to do was the very place I was attacked most. Some of you, the thing that you think you're the worst at is actually the thing you're called to do. Some of you, your finances are attacked so much because you've got such a heart for giving that if you could ever get breakthrough in that area, you'd step into your destiny. If you look at a lot of the people with the greatest healing ministries on the planet, their families uh, were, were picked off one by one because they got, it was, Satan knew. He, listen, Satan can see the call in your life and he can attack it. Sometimes he knows it better than we do. What if the attack on your life was actually a confirmation in reverse of what you're supposed to walk in? How we doing? We're going to be talking about Gideon today, if you turn me to Judges <laughs> chapter 6. You know, I think that um, what if... The point of your life where the enemy is attacking the greatest is actually your greatest point of destiny. What if it's actually a confirmation or reverse of the very thing you're called to walk in? Verses 21 through 24, then the angel of the Lord reached out. I think I already read that part, didn't I? Angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff, and it was in his hand, and he touched the meat and the leaven cakes. Fire sprang up. Let me just say this. The altar is the beginning place of revival. The very place that he had laid everything down and realized, okay, you're going to be with me. I am all in. That altar was the very place of revival. 
your personal, intimate relationship with God, that's what's important. Sometimes I need to just set aside all, I call them input channels, all the podcasts, all the books, all the teaching, all the, 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 the worship CDs. Sometimes I need to even set aside the Bible, and I need to just sit in his presence and let him speak to me. God, I've been doing your work, but somehow I've lost that reference point. The true north for the Christian life, that reference point that sets everything else right, is the presence of God in my life. And there are still times as a pastor, and I will just say on a fairly regular basis, that I get off, off course. And I've got to sit back down and go, okay, God, here I am again. Let me remember what's important. You're with me. I'm not doing this in my own strength. A.W. Tozer said this years ago, one of my favorite authors, Unfortunately, if the Holy Spirit were withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what the church does would continue without him because we wouldn't know he was gone. But the church of the New Testament, if the Holy Spirit were removed, 95% of what they did would stop and they would be on their faces crying out to God. Here's what's happening, guys. God is, uh, is giving a dividing line in the church. There are those who need to be coaxed and motivated and stirred up to pursue the things of God. They're the ones they don't realize the presence of God. They don't realize, they don't have that awareness. They're not having a walking reality of what they get to walk in. They're enjoying the atmosphere of revival. They enjoy the testimonies. They enjoy actually the feeling of the Holy Spirit coming on them in ministry and times of hands being laid on them. But um, they get touched during worship, but there's not that daily deepening intimacy. Okay? You know what that is? That is religion. Religion is where God is a part of my life, but he's not the center of my life. And so the result of that is form without power. So we've got charismatics who are being touched, but they're frustrated. Why are they being frustrated? Because... The whole point of God touching them, it was an invitation for them to come into life that is truly life, and that is intimacy with him. And they're missing out on it. And so they're going for the next greatest thing. Maybe if I go to this next conference, maybe the next fire tunnel, something will happen. Oh, there's something ha happening hot at this church? I'm going to go over here. And so they're the cruisomatics, just cruising around from church to church, hoping for the next high, the next spiritual fix, because they've actually never recognized that those touches were an invitation to a life with him. And I'm, guess, and I'm just going to tell you, you're going to continue to be frustrated because that is not how he created the life to work. And he's not going to adjust the Christian life to your selfish, fleshly taste of a feeling. How are we doing? But see, there's others. There's others on the other side who you are feeding deep within your soul on who he is. Not every day is a triumph, but there's a constant feeding on him. You're realizing he is here. I'm fellowshipping with him, and I have to give away what I receive. And the difference between those two groups is mainly the awareness of his presence. I love this phrase from Bobby Connery. He says, I want to be like a leaf on a tree responding to the slightest breeze. <laughs> there was a guy who, uh, from centuries ago named Brother Lawrence. He wrote the book, the Practice, Practicing the Presence of God. And so he was basically a cook in a monastery, and he talked about how his goal was to learn to uh, be aware of God's presence 24-7. He said he never got there, but he got to the point where he said this same presence of God that he would experience crying out in the chapel, let's just say the best worship service you've ever been in, uh, was the same presence of God he would experience as he was washing dishes. And he said there was times where God was so real to him, he had to make sure he wasn't making crazy faces because he didn't want to look insane. He's encountering God with such a joy that other people would think he was nuts. I saw this saying one time, it says, um, uh, they looked, those who, what's it, uh, those who did not hear the music thought that those who did hear the music were crazy when they saw them dancing. 
Can you imagine if you just saw people dancing all out with no music? You'd like, that group is weird. That's our church. Anyway, and so um, <laughs> those who aren't experienced in the presence, they may think it's a little bit crazy. I'm not saying giving you full permission to look like Looney Tunes at your work. Okay, like I think, you know, I, I hear stories of people where they're like drunk in their workplace and they think it's awesome. Um, I, I, what? Drunk in the spirit, thank you, yeah. Drunk in the spirit, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, thank you for that. I'm so glad Mary's here. And so, listen, guys, charismatics, listen, man, it's the best and the worst. <laughs> you know, it's like we, we love his presence, we're going after it, but we've got to learn how to translate what God is doing into our actual life so that those supernatural invasions that are happening in private and are happening in here, that's training ground for it to happen in your family and happen in your business and happen in our government. And it's probably not going to look like a bunch of senators on the ground shaking and vibrating. It could look like that, but it also could look like changing mindsets so that goodness rules the day. So that, anyway, you get the picture there. All right. I hope you are overwhelmed by the call of God in your life. I hope you hear the prophetic words of your life and you stand in awe. Because then you are forced to cry out and say, God, I have to be aware of you. It's you that I really need. That's the whole purpose of all the words over your life. Here's what a prophetic word is. It's you're standing here in your present and God is over here in your future. You guys realize you don't have to worry about your future because God's already in it. So stop worrying about it. He'll be there. Okay? So God's coming to you uh, in, your, in your future. He's coming from your future with information because he sees the end of the story. He sees how you're going to be. And so he's coming to you in your present with information that you need to be able to walk and become that person in the future. That's what a prophetic word is. God's like, oh, I see who you are. Here, you're going to need this, this little tool for the journey. So this will help you become the person that I see you becoming. And what makes the whole thing possible is I'm walking through it with him. Listen, if a parent says to a child, I'm going to get you a bike for Christmas, it's not a challenge for them to get a bike by Christmas. You guys understand that? It's a gift they're going to receive. When God gives you a prophetic word, it's not up to you to create an Ishmael and figure out how you're going to make that prophetic word happen. It's a challenge to intimacy and listen to the whispers along the way and those steps of obedience that will get you to that prophetic word. Not your genius manipulation of people and time and strategies. Are we okay? God's not against strategies, against strategies that are made without him. Man. I need to take notes on myself. This is awesome. (laughs) There's people in this room who have been touched by God, but it's not going, it hasn't taken you into intimacy. And the very move of God that touched you is now making you frustrated. Because the only ones who are satisfied in this hour are those who take that fresh anointing and realize what it really is. It's an invitation to intimacy. And until you push all your chips to the center of the table, until you take that food in the famine and say, God, I'm betting it all on you. You're going to be frustrated. It won't work. And you'll try to look for the next best thing. Or you'll just become a nice Christian who lives on principles. And you'll never fulfill the words over your life. And we need people in this city and in this church to become the kind of people who fulfill the words over their life. You want to know how to change a city? Walk in your destiny. 
It's not some great strategy. You are the strategy. You are God's plan A. You know what plan B is? Uh, C plan A. <laughs> it's like rule number one. Do da da. Rule number two. See rule number one. That's how it works. You walking fully alive with the Lord, walking in your destiny, is the key to transforming this city. Not some great preaching, not some worship service, not some glory cloud coming over the church building and zapping everyone who walks in there. If that happens, that's, that's going to be a call to intimacy for you to walk out your destiny. Only those who have that simple, intimate cry to know God, those are the ones who are going to be satisfied. Everyone else is going to be looking for the next best thing, the next prophetic word, so they'll actually believe who God says they are, the next touch. Our church has been called to impossibilities and the backbone of this call is for you and I to be aware that God is with us and recognize the greatest gift is God himself. How are we doing? Here's what I like to do. We don't do this a whole lot. But um, I would like, to, uh, if you guys could just stand and take out your wallets. I'm kidding. It's just terrible, terrible church humor. Here's what I want to do, though. I, 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 just, I just want to confess, I've had to do this many, many times in my life. Um, this is a regular practice for me. I don't know what it is. I get so busy in my own stuff, and I get so excited about what God's doing, and I, I love so much what he's called me to do that I can begin to run in it in my own strength. And then I start getting really tired, and I'm like, what's going on here? And it's like, hold on, I've, I've lost true north. i got to get back to true north. It's enjoying him. It's doing this thing with him. And I would imagine in a room this size, I'm probably not the only person that this has happened to. And so here's what I like to do. Just as Gideon created an altar, and he, he laid everything down, what I want to do is just, you're like, hey, Jim, uh, I've gotten a little off center, and I, I want to take this opportunity to recognize True North. And so I want you to just come down to front, and we'll just create an altar and just pray. Just get out of your seat and come down, and just whatever that looks like between you and God. Just, God, I, I want to breathe you in. <laughs> Lord, I thank you for the invitation to intimacy. God, you are the prize. You're the one I want. And so again, guys, there is, there is no shame in this thing. Again, I, I do this more often than I care to admit. So just, man, in your own language, whatever it looks like, Holy Spirit, <laughs> forgive me for getting off track. But Lord, I give you my heart. I recognize your presence is true north. You are the greatest prize. Just whatever that looks like. I want to just give you a few moments to do that here.
Holy Spirit, just remind them of who they really are. I pray that you'll call out those mighty men and women of valor when they don't feel like mighty mighty men and women of valor. Lord, I thank you that whatever you speak to them comes with a divine enabling to make it happen as they walk it out with you. sometimes hunger looks like, you know, asking for a greater revelation of his presence, but sometimes that hunger can, that, that version of hunger can actually be unbelief, where you're crying out for the very thing he said he already gave you. And so I, I think a lot of times we get frustrated. So what if we just wish it, and God, I just thank you that everything you said is real. When you said, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, that's going to be my basis for life, not my feelings, not whether or not I'm hearing clearly, not whether I can feel you tangibly on my body. You will never leave me. You will never forsake me. Or that is, that is my ground zero. That is my level that I start at. Thank you, Jesus. Some of you, 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 just, you got things weighing on your mind. They're just stuff you've got. And so I want you to just take those things and worry about them with the Lord. <laughs> Lord, I thank you that you're going to be with me in. I thank you that you've got divine strategies for. So just begin to speak these things out because they're all true. You don't have to say them loudly, but I feel like there is something about actually saying them out loud. God, I thank you for that you'll be with me, that you've got answers for this situation, just whatever that might be. But I feel, just use your voice. You, not, it doesn't have to be loud so everyone can hear it. Well, I, don't, I don't care about that, but I feel like you need to use your words. Lord, I thank you for resetting our compass headings. <laughs> Lord, we just declare you are the prize. <laughs> Your presence with us is the greatest treasure. It is the pearl of great price. You know, that was the blessing of Abraham that made him successful in everything he did was God was with him. To enable Joseph to go from the pit to the pinnacle. Every, every time something brought him down, God was with him. And Lord, I just thank you that there may be people in here who feel knocked down, but they are not knocked out. 
They may have gotten off track, but your plans and purposes, your, your, your gifts and your calling, they're irrevocable. They never change. They get right back onto plan A. And so, Lord, I just thank you that the, the prophetic words you spoke over them, that is your identity, gang. That is who you are. So I just pray that uh, water will be added to those seeds. Those dreams would spring up again. They'd get their identity from who you say they are, not from their experience. You're awesome. I mean, it's hard not to just think about him and just like tell him how good he is. It's just, oh, Lord, you're sweet. Lord, I thank you that you are relentlessly kind. I love how it doesn't say God gives mercy. It says he delights in showing mercy. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Wonderful, wonderful. If we could have our guest worship artist, not worship painter, worship artist. Ray, if you could come up here. Uh, he's going to uh, actually deliver a prophetic word, I, I, I'm assuming, over the church. I'm not sure based on what that painting is. I cannot believe that came out of what you started with. I saw all those colors going on in the sky. I thought, boy, I'm not really sure what's going to happen there. It looks like a storm or something. But then uh, I'm not sure how that came out of that, but that was awesome. And so let's welcome Ray here. good to be here. I uh, was praying last night. I didn't know what I was going to paint till last night about 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock this morning. And the Lord said, uh, blow the trumpet in Zion. And I said, this is Zion. Zion Church. Praise God. So I, I, I believe that's what he wanted me to bring to you. But anyhow, he's blowing the trumpet over the armies of, of, of the Lord. Uh, we're in an exciting time, amen? Take that out of Joel 2, and uh, I believe we're in the most exciting hour the church has ever been in. I believe you all are on the cutting edge. God has put his hand on, on you, and, and there's a, he's put his favor on you. And uh, you haven't seen nothing yet. You haven't seen nothing yet. We're going to have to enlarge our, well, he's, he's, he's preparing you and he's, he's making room for the, for the crowds that are going to come. We're going to see a tremendous move of God. I believe the armies of the Lord are getting ready to march like they've never marched. They're already started. You believe that? We're going to see Joel's army, but we're going to see the army of the Lord. He said, and the Lord shall utter his voice before his army, for his camp is very great, for he is strong, that executeth his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible, and who can, who can abide it? Therefore, also now, saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with, with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Rend your hearts and not your garments, 
and turn unto the Lord your God, for he is the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful and slow to anger and of great kindness, repenteth him of evil. Who knoweth if he will turn and repent? Now, there's a lot of things going on in our nation. But God is telling us to pray like we've never prayed. Amen. Appreciate you, brother. Appreciate you. Your, your obedience to the Lord and your word. Let me read what, what I'm feeling in my spirit. I am calling my armies together. I'm calling the young and the old. I'm calling awake, awake. I'm calling my watchmen to get into position, position themselves upon the wall. I am bringing together my armies to assemble and position themselves and to, and to be alert for the hour and the time is urgent. This is not the time to fold your hands or to be passive or to sit back. You are still in a window of time to prepare, but the hour is urgent. Awake, awake, I am calling you to stop what you're doing and come aside and hear my voice. I'm looking for those that I can birth a nation through. I have started in, well, I'm sorry. I'm looking for those I can birth a nation to, through, like Sarah's and Abraham's. I'm not looking at the age. I'm not looking at your abilities, but I'm looking at those that are willing and obedient to hear my voice and do my will. I'm looking at those that will hear my voice and well, all the other sounds around you are drowning out the voice of the Lord. I'm looking for those that will turn aside and come and hear my voice because I'm wanting to bring you into an intimacy with me like you've never been. It's no time to fold your hands or be passive. It's a time to be serious before the Lord. He said, when the priests begin to weep between the porch and the altar, then I'm going to turn the armies of the enemy around. When we begin to weep between the, the husband, we must be the first partakers of the fruit. And praise God, I sense that here. And I believe that you're going to see things like you've never seen. The half has not yet been told. You're getting ready to see God move in a mighty way. Praise God. And I bless you this morning with this, okay? We receive it. Thank you, sir. Come on. Show far, show good. That's good. Amen. A little pastor humor there, sorry. <laughs> Sean, Sean got a hold of some shofar app at our uh, staff meeting, and there was, I don't know, there was like 10 different kinds, and so I don't know, just, eh. that's our staff meetings. So anyway, <laughs> just at the most inappropriate times, we were, so thank you, Jesus. Well, Lord, we receive that word. Lord, I thank you that you are assembling the armies of heaven. You're assembling the armies of earth to work together. <laughs> So, Lord, we pray for the city of Columbus. We pray that it would be a city of great joy to you, a city of delight. We, Lord, we pray for just a mass-scale revival of souls. Lord, that leads to a reformation of structures, the way uh, businesses conduct businesses, the way they treat employees, the way fathers and mothers treat their daughters and sons, the way that our children are educated, the way that media reports on goodness the way that entertainment actually celebrates the goodness of God. 
and creativity. Lord, I just thank you that you're using people, weak people like us, to do great things like that. I like to make this statement. I think I actually stole it from Andrew Womack, but that's probably the last time I'll cite it. It's like I've always said. God hasn't had anybody qualified working for him yet, and you and I will not be the first ones. All right, it's not about us becoming amazing. It's just the fact that he's with us. So, uh, Zion, I bless you to be the most dangerous group in Columbus, Ohio. That when you wake up, the enemy says, oh, no, they're up. And, Lord, I just thank you that uh, the angels are stronger than the demons. We don't have to worry about all the forces of darkness trying to stop us. We've got you. The Lord is with us. And, Lord, I just thank you for moms and dads who are raising up champions. I just, I'm in awe of the kids that God is, the way you guys are raising your kids. It's just amazing. We had this little three-year-old, uh, saw a person that had like a knee brace on, and they went and prayed this prayer. Uh, this was at church here. Jesus touches boo-boos, and they uh, touched the knee, and the person's knee got healed. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, what's going to happen in 15, 20 years from now when they're young adults, when they're... And the 20-year-olds that God has going on right now, OMG, they make me nervous in a good way. God's, like, the future of this country, it's going to be okay, guys. God's raising up revivalists. And uh, you know what? We, we, we need all age. When God says he's going to do something in a generation, he meant everybody alive at that one time. There's nobody who's excluded. There's nobody too young, nobody too old. And so uh, I love Caleb. When he's 80 years old, I'm going to go take the hill country. Give me the toughest part. Give me the biggest one to slay. So Lord, we just impart that heart of David that looks at the, uh, the impossible and says, who's this uncircumcised Philistine? Who is this person who has no covenant that would defy the armies of the living God? So Lord, I just pray for courage to be built up in the name of Jesus because you're with us. <laughs> Not because we're amazing people of courage, but you're with us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.